Well, hello there, citizen. Welcome to the Understory Bard Podcast, where we talk about self-producing your creative projects, online content creation, and copywriting. Admission to the Understory is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, citizens? Understory Bard here today, and I am excited to continue the interview series with Greg Romero Wilson. Greg, how you doing? Thank you. Good, good, man. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Yeah. So I got to lay a little backstory about about how I know you, and then, um, well, know is a strong word, about how I'm aware of your presence. But uh, basically, so I bought Greg's um, mastering stand-up course like seven and a half years ago. And I used your course to great effect for my one, my award-winning, award-winning one man oh, show. Oh, I love this. I know, nice. right? In, um, in the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And uh, I think they give an award though to any, it's like a participation award, basically. Sure, yeah, you yeah, get yeah, one, you yeah. get a seal of approval, sure. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and I have to say is that your comedic principles have really influenced my writing and a lot of what I teach for my people as well. So first, I'm not going to fanboy you, but I'm going to say I appreciate you and thank you. Oh, listen, thank you so much. And the, the, you know, when I first started teaching in 2008, you know, I was one of the few active headliners to do it. In fact, I may have been the only one at that moment. Um, and I got, I got, I'll be honest, I got a lot of shit for it, you know, because up till that point, Teaching stand-up had kind of been relegated to guys that just didn't make it, that that were not particularly good, that weren't going anywhere, so they just started teaching. So it had a really bad rap. And, you know, and a lot of comics don't want to take a class because usually it's taught by somebody they don't respect and they're teaching a, and they don't really teach them anything. It's all kind of the same thing, which is watch and critique. Oh, this is what I would do. Why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? There weren't a lot of fundamentals. You didn't leave with things that you could apply directly to your writing, you know, that, that without implementing their ideas. Um, and, uh, you know, and I took a workshop when I first started stand up and I, I didn't learn a thing. I literally learned nothing. I walked away from it. Like, okay, that was a waste of whatever I paid for it, a couple hundred bucks. And I was like, this is stupid. And so I started teaching because I, 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 the, the idea was I just started making notes like, okay, what do I wish everyone, someone had told me when I first started doing stand up? what are all the things? And pretty soon the notes just turned into this massive amount uh, of things that nobody told me, nobody, you have to figure it out all on your own by yourself, you know, you and whoever you buddy up with as you go through the stand-up process. And I was like, you know, I really want to, I want to change stand-up education and really come at it from a different way and give people a tangible formulas they can use to apply to their style, their writing to just make it work better. You know, that's always been the concept, accelerate the process of becoming a professional comedian. And, but a lot of people, you know, like, oh, poor Greg, Greg, oh, you teach that work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, you know, some of the most successful comedians in America, you know, are, were, took my classes and they say very kind things about me. And a lot of people that are still coming up and a lot of people that were a lot of, a lot of the platform people, everybody, YouTube, Amazon, you know, Netflix, every platform. I've got comics that I've worked with that are on there and they send me messages every day. Oh, last night, I remember you said this. And I, and it just, it really, it makes this journey. I mean, in turn, it, it makes it, I, I guess it gives something to it that isn't purely selfish. You know, the stand up journey is so just about yourself. 
you know, and it's so fun to get to work with other people's uh, ideas and concepts and watch them grow and help them grow and accelerate. And listen, so many of them have passed me, you know what I mean? Like so they've gone on to be much bigger comics than myself. And, and I, you know, and I, and I knew that was going to happen. I knew it from the very beginning. I'm like some, at some point, some of you were going to zoom right past me, you know, because that's just the nature of entertainment. You know, the guy that teaches you guitar isn't necessarily going to be famous before you are just because, you know, he knew guitar longer than you. You know, you may write some pop hit singles and that's it. You know, you're the big star. So I always knew that was going to happen. It did happen. And I'm very proud of all the work that I've put into other comedians. Now, how did did you find that going through that and putting on workshops and starting to speak? Did you find that that impacted your own stand up? Absolutely. If anything, it really makes me more aware of the fundamentals as I write and sticking to those things. It, I, I'll be I'll be honest. It is so much e- like anything else. It's always easier to point out what's wrong with somebody else than with yourself. You know, it's so I wish I had me as a coach, if I'm being completely honest. I really do. I wish someone could look at my material the way I look at others' material because I try and do it for myself, but it's not the same. It's just different, you know, when you're examining your own stuff. And so a lot of times, you know, I will run, especially when I do my five-week work workshop, I, I, you know, a lot of times I'll run my material by the class, you know, and get their feedback and what I'm saying, and a lot of it is always, you know, they're throwing my principles right back at me. And I, I, I t- I'm like, yes, why did I see that? You know, it hurts a little bit. You know, the point it probably hurts them when I do it to them. They, you know, they're probably like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're probably like, yeah, no. But still, there, it, it is always helpful to have somebody else like look and give me that outside. It, it's harder to coach yourself than anything. But I do try to apply the principles, particularly when it comes to expanding material that I give them to myself. So, well, and I think the one thing that I really gained from your workshop was you laid out a process, not necessarily tactics, right? Like there are tactics in there and there's traditional comedy in there, at least the course that I took, but you laid out a process to where people can discover comedy for themselves, right? You didn't just right. give it to them. And that, and that like is a requirement as a writer. And I don't write comedy necessarily. I would say I'm more of like a humorist, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not like a comedian, um, but the discovery process and going just through the reps is one of the things that I uh, really helped me with regards to volume reps and discovering things. You know, it's funny. It's really always, and, and that's really always been the difference for me that I wanted to make in my education versus everybody else's was this is it's about you and your style and doing it your way you know just like mine is my way i wish i did it a different way but i can't this is the way that's fun for me and this is the way that has to be fun for you i say it all the time it's very difficult for a clean comic to be dirty it's just as difficult for a clean comic to be dirty as it is for a dirty comic to be clean but that doesn't mean you don't have to develop that material you just got to find the stuff that you actually like to do you know and so it was never it was always about fundamentals and principles and the discovery process and the expansion process and just knowing what to do with whatever you're thinking and not judging what you're thinking and not, you know, whatever you want it to be, because you can't chase the rainbow. You have to just be you. And the more you, you can be, the more you're going to enjoy the process. And I just want to make it an enjoyable process as much as I can. You know, that's always been the difference I've been trying to make. Well, and I don't think, I don't think you can do the volume reps that are required for something you don't like to do. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's it's know thyself is not just a platitude. It's an actual 
It's an actual strategy, right? And but so- you would be surprised how often I hear, well, but you know, it seems like they do a lot of this and it seems like they like a lot of that. And, and there are people trying to write towards what they think the business, the industry, the platforms, whatever they want. And I'm like, you're going to make yourself crazy. You're going to drive yourself but by the same token. I can't say that I haven't thought it. Of course, I want their approval too. I want them to choose me too. So of course, sometimes I'm writing stuff and I'm like, ooh, this would be good for that. I'm like, you know, you got to set all that aside. You know, you got to just do the, you know, it's art. At the end of the day, that is the problem with show and business is the show is art and it's your art. But then you got to apply it to business, which is very cruel to art. So, you know, these are conflicting concepts, you know, of underlying own self being true, being a true artist, and at the same time wanting to be a commercial artist. They're two very, you know, trying to marry the two is difficult. You kind of, you kind of just have to to accept your journey, you know. And the more you do it your way and enjoy every step, the more you're going to be able to just stick with it. Well, and I think though that's where the principles come in because when I took your class seven years ago or eight years ago or whatever it was, the world was a much different place, right? So yep. the world was a different place. Comedy was a different place. My life was a different place. Like I didn't have kids or anything like that. And you know, I, I was revisiting the workshop and going through it again for some of some other things I'm working on that that I was helping me creatively. And the principles are still the same, even though the world has gone crazy and totally changed. My life has totally changed. Is that the, the process and the principles of comedy that you teach remain the same. Like they stand the test of time because that's what principles do, right? And if you're trying to chase a platform or chase an algorithm or chase what you think the tastes of today want, I mean, I think we've seen tastes change so weekly, fast. Weekly, oh my God. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Oh my God. It's, it's, I don't and know and it's funny because the version stuff, you saw, you know, I was always a very dirty comic and people are always like, what are you going to do? Teach them how to be dirty? And I'm like, no, the fundamentals of comedy remain static. They don't change whether you use them in in dirty comedy or whether you use them in clean, whether you use them in personal, philosophical, you know, anecdotal, whatever you want to do. The fundamentals, the dynamics of stand up don't change. And but the tastes having changed where they are, the version you had have has a lot of material in it. I can't even do anymore except on very certain particular stages and shows that want that kind of material. The, the workshop that's out there now that's streaming on, on Teachable has is much different material than the material that you, but so, so I also grew as an artist. There was also a point, you know, I'm an older guy now, you know, I'm 51 years old and somewhere, you know, in my late thirties, early forties, I kind of got tired of being the dirty club comic. And I was like, okay, you know what? It's time to grow. It's time to write about other things. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm married. I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about hooking up and, you know, it isn't all about sex and drugs and rock and roll anymore. My life's very different. It's really more about just the world we live in. And so I, so the material that's in there now that is selected specifically to demonstrate certain principles is much uh, different than it's all very clean. Uh, some of it is very edgy still. I didn't take that out, um, but it is definitely, definitely geared towards being uh, easier, to, easier to digest to everyone's sensibilities, you know, and that was just, you know, again, tastes have changed. I changed the world, you know, and I just kept moving with it. And so the, the, the pieces that I use to demonstrate concepts in the current version are very different from the ones that were used in that early version. I was muted because my dog was making noise. Um, well, uh, and the thing is, though, but I think going over the edge or going 
going really far or too far is that helps you to decide that line for yourself. And so that whole experience where you were able to like, some of that stuff you would say, I was like, whoo, that's out, you know, that's, you know what I mean? But that's, it was aggressive. I was always a very aggressive comedian. That's just who I am. That, that has not changed, you know, and, and I just use it in a different way now, you know, like I talk about very touchy things, you know, I have my uh, school shootings routine that, you know, you know, I got to really kind of soften the audience up first before I break that out because it's you know it's a real shock to the system you know so i mean but it's still there that aggression is because it's just who i am i can't i can't shut that off and i'm not going to change the animal i am you know so although it is weird the way we have cotton to display what once co- comedians had to apologize for jokes you know i i really kind of was like oh boy all right we're, we're heading down a slippery slope now you know i mean that we can't just do you know because it used to be you didn't like a joke you didn't listen you know that wasn't the comic for you. That was it. You know, the people that liked your material, but now people just don't want you to exist. They just don't want you doing it. And it's like, well, that's, fuck you. This is art. You know, my art will be whatever. And, and that's like we've forgotten about art that I think is getting lost today is that art is supposed to challenge your sensibilities. It's not supposed to, we're supposed to drag the darkness into the light. What we're not supposed to do is, is coddle you. This isn't, we're not politicians. We're not here to tell you what you want to hear. We're here to challenge your sensibilities. That is what art's job is, you know? And so for them to try and take that away from us that has probably been the most daunting task of modern stand-up. Well, there's a whole archetype for it, right? So there's the jester archetype, which is one of the young seven Jungian archetypes for the whole the the truth, the truth that they can speak the truth, right? The jester can speak the truth to the king, right? That was and, always the thing, exactly. You know, and the thing is, is that the you know the, the understory bard, right? That's like the whole concept of it's the it's the bard is the jester that goes into the world and goes into the darkness of the forest and finds the truth there, right? Yeah, and, and is willing to say the things that nobody wants to say. I've always, I've always said that that comedians were analogous to to porn stars, in that we expose ourselves in ways that other people would be mortified to do. You know, we say things about ourselves, expose our flaws and our mistakes and and things and and fears and you know dark thoughts that other people maybe were thinking but would never say it out loud and then we go and make fun of it you know and this the thing the goal is always so long as it's funny you know so long as we it's funny then we can talk about these things but you know people have gotten to where they're like no it's not funny well maybe not to you you know but to everybody else here tonight it was so i don't know what to tell you it is a very it has never been more difficult to be a comedian than it is right now. And not just because of that, not just because of the sensibilities. And I understand that. And I, I again, that's also what something that I've, I've grown against myself, you know, and changed my material in terms of being more conscious of people that might be hurt by it in the audience. But uh, but just by the sheer volume of people doing it, you know, there's just every single person wants to be a comedian because they think they can just go out and perform five minutes and post a few clips online and get a million followers, and, you know, and, and so, so it's just, it's never been harder, I think, to do stand up than it is right now. Well, and I think definitely coming up is, I think you're right. There's also so much competition for people's attention because there's so many different platforms, right? Yeah. You know, you know I remember when YouTube exploded when, um, 
uh, was Andy Seinberg did Chronicles of Narnia or whatever on the, which is the video that exploded YouTube, right? Which mm-hmm. was, it was, it was like SNL guy, right? I think it's Andy Seinberg or whatever. Yeah. But that there was no, people did not watch YouTube. Like there was no people going to YouTube. People did not watch it. There was not streaming. Like Netflix, I think you still would order your, 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 your discs and get them in the mail. And so, right. you know, there, if there are just a few places that if you could, knew where to break in, you would get attention. Right. Right. And but now it's like keeping people's attention. You have these people, you know, you have these performers and these creatives that are breaking into people's houses to get likes and starting their house on fire. You know, it's yeah, people will do anything to to get those to get that attention. It's it's really it's become a world of PR stunts. And that's the other thing, it's like every single person wants to be a star. Everyone and they have this platform and they all think they're gonna be a star on the platform. And again, coming back to comedy. You know, um, and that's why I think my, I was joking about. I was like, we can't all be stars. Someone, it's like, no one of us is going to do it. So the, um, so so there's the difficulty with that, and then we have entered this era of what I call pop comedy. It has become like pop music. You know, whereas it used to, you created an album. Now you just need a hit single. You know, you get a hit single. And so comedy, any one of these clips goes viral, that's a hit single. You get a hit single and all of a sudden your numbers blow up and now you can tour on it, you know? But by the same token, we have comedians who have, you know, who make non-stand-up videos who are them doing certain things, you know, that are that are funny in the medium, in the TikTok, uh, you know, on TikTok or on Instagram or on, on YouTube shorts or whatever. And that thing will take off, you know, them doing that thing will take off. But then... They can't really sell any tickets on the road because nobody wants to see them do that live. And they have no idea what their stand-up's like. You know, you tell them your stand-up, like, oh, okay. But they have no interest in your stand-up. They want to see you do your your dancing thing, you know? So it's become a, it is a bit of a, it's weird. The place we're in is definitely a a strange new world. Uh, That's for sure. Well, it's like the arbitrage versus the craft approach, right? Like, yeah, from a, you can look at you can look at it from a business perspective. It's like, what does the market want? Let me fill that need, and then it's an existing want, right? Um, but that's not what, in my mind, that's not what art and comedy is about. Art and comedy is about going discovering something, and then people are like, "Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think of that, or I didn't even know I wanted that." And that's where a laugh comes from, right? Is like people yeah. don't even know they wanted what you just gave them, and it makes them laugh, even if it's a nervous laugh, which, which I would do half the time during your, uh, during your, uh, your workshop. <laughs> um, but you know, that's one thing too. Is like, is I wanted to talk to you is that in terms of from a craft perspective, in terms of you know, um, you know, because you call it mastering stand up. How, how do you has your approach changed on that in terms of how you? You, you yourself view stand up and comedy in terms of the is it changing a little bit from you said you're getting older, but is the way that the whole system is changing? Is that changing your view on it or you're like, nope, I still feel the same way about it? Um, well, I mean, it's changed in that I you know, it's one of those who move my cheese situations. You know, it's like I've had to adapt. I mean, I you know, I spent all this time, you know, doing television work to complement the stand up work. Nobody watches TV anymore. So um it's all just about the short form videos, which, you know, and that's that for me as an older artist is what's aggravating is here. I have spent these years mastering this craft, you know, and I do call it mastering standup because you're constantly mastering it. You're constantly working at it. You're constantly creating new material. I'm working on new bits right now, you know, and 
So you are constantly mastering stand-up. You're never the master of stand-up, you know? Uh, there are certain people that think they are, but you, you're never done mastering the process. But the thing that drives me crazy is we went from just stand-up in and of itself is so difficult to master, okay? And then after you spend all the years doing this, now you got to be a video editor. Now you got to, you know, you, you got to be a graphic artist. You got to be a promoter. You got to do all these other things that here before we didn't have to do. But it's adapt or die. You know, you better learn how to do. I've had to learn how to do all of those things. And I hated it. I still hate it. You know, I still have hours of video that I need to go through and cut clips from. And it's, it's very difficult for me to sit down and do it. I did, I'm a live performer. I loved, I want that. I, I don't want to sit here on the computer and you know, captioning. Oh my God, kill me with the captioning, you know, but if I want people to come to my shows, the, you know, the, I, you know, cause then the other thing is if you don't do those things, when they see you, no matter how great you are at standup, when they go online, if they don't see a large online presence, then they're going to be like, Oh, I guess this guy sucks. And it's like, or I hate fucking doing that shit. And I'm actually amazing at standup. Is that an option? Where's that box? You know? Right. But, well, I, and I don't think people understand how long it takes to come up with a good seven minutes of stand-up comedy. Like people have no clue unless, until you try to do it, right? Yeah. People have no clue how long it takes the, the process to take. I mean, that's why you know people look at like George Carlin, for example, and he would do a show a year for an hour. That's a that's just a, that's preternatural genius or something. Because I think I mean at least I don't know. Maybe you disagree with that, but like, well, uh, Carlin had his ups and downs. I mean, the reality is when you created that kind of volume, it's not all going to be great, and right. that's the truth. There was a lot of his stuff that wasn't nearly as good as some of his other stuff. I mean, it was one of those things when you created that kind of a level. You know, there's going to be parts of it that you're like, that's great. And then parts of it where you're like, okay, you know, it's not so great. And whereas if he had taken, you know, three years and called the best of those and cut out, well, that would have been the one hour that was smashing. That's thing when somebody breaks out, that first special you see is a culmination of hours of material that went into that hour. You know, then once that's burned, then all of a sudden now you got to crank them out faster. And so you wind up with a lot of weak spots. I mean, if you look at Chris Rock, I mean, that first special was just hot fire. And then every special that came out consequently kind of got, you know, a little, little less fire every time. Not that he isn't still amazing. Not that he isn't a brilliant comedian, but there was because the demand was such to turn, you know, even so, even Chappelle's specials come on. You have to admit, you know, not all of them are that great. There's a lot of him just talking, you know, but he's Chappelle, so he can get away with it. You know, I call that celebrity leeway. He has a leeway you and I will never experience. You know, they will sit, and he's not even really doing stand up comedy anymore. It's more just stand up philosophy. And it's so funny when you look at the arc of who he was at the beginning, you know, the happens, you know, crazy. Dogs are not deep throat, smoking cigarettes, got muscles, being depressed now, man. You know, it's just what a, what an arc, what a change. And the reality is the current version isn't always as funny as the, you know, the halfway point version where he really, you know, took off as a standup. 
Well, and I think there are two two issues there, right? Like one is the it's the novel problem, right? The, the writer who writes this amazing first novel, well, that first novel is the culmination of his whole life and probably yeah. 16 failed novels and pain and sitting, you know. Um, yeah, like and massive revisions and yeah, just right. constantly just focused on that for a decade, if not more. Yeah. And so then the first one hits and then everyone wants, oh, I'll write another novel. And he writes it in like in like one year. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think so that's that's the same thing for anything, anything creative. It's, it's it's like if you ever want to piss off a magician, all you have to do is just say, man, how was it just sitting in your in your you know one bedroom apartment by yourself alone for years and years and years? Right. Like because they did like that's what they had to do is sit with a deck of cards for years and years and years and just practice by themselves in a studio apartment where nobody knew who they were. Same thing for novelists, same thing for all the failures for comedians. And then people just wanted to turn around so fast. And I don't I don't think people understand that unless they go through it. Absolutely. Unless you put yourself through it, you really don't know. And everyone, and again, much like pop music, they think it's all just about having that hit single and then you just take off. And it's like, okay, yeah, but I mean, think of, there's a reason they called the one hit wonder, you know, I mean, there's a reason they have to, but you know, the, you know, they still, they do get to tour, you know, but they have to tour with 14 other one hit wonders to make it one, you know, show, <laughs> you know, so it, 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 that's just where we're at with comedy now. And, you know, listen, you just got to accept it and keep creating and having fun as much as you can, you know? How many years, I'm curious, how many years did you rewind stages before you felt very comfortable crossing that, that chasm between you and the audience, right? Like, cause when you start a show or you're on a stage, you always have to create that bridge between you and the audience. And, and for first timers, I think it's very scary. It's like palpable. How many, how long did it take you before you were like, I'm going to do this no matter what, I'm not worried about it. Well, my journey was a little different because I started out in the nineties in troop improv, which was all about engaging the audience. You know, so when I went back to stand, I tried stand up for like a few months when I was 17. Then at 18, I got into this troupe and we took off. And the 90s was all about troupe improv. Troupe improv was very big in the 90s. And so that's what it is. So we were very big in the 90s. And it was all about audience engagement and working with the crowd and having fun. And so then when I went back to stand up at the end of the 90s, early 2000s, I, you know, my first instinct was to connect with the audience, was to do crowd work, like writing. I don't, I didn't want to write. I, I didn't want to, I just wanted to do crowd work. I just wanted to talk to them. I just wanted to riff. I just wanted to have a good time, you know? And that's always kind of been my problem when we have these sets where, you know, it's for television or it's for this, this, this showcase or whatever. And you gotta, you're supposed to get up there and do your jokes. And I just, is, you know, I'm fighting these wild horses inside of me who just want to just like, well, what do you guys think? You know, I just do all this other stuff that I'm not supposed to do in that moment. But so for me, it was a little bit different. I always wanted to engage the audience. It was never, any, it was, I was definitely a little bit backwards that way. Well, but I think it served you because part of your act is like when you do crowd work or whatever, and you roll it in with like your jokes that you are doing already and you don't know what's improv and what's part of a prepared joke. Like, right. And the, and the crowd is like, Oh, what's going to happen. That's, that is, that there's an energy there. And I think that that's, that's a, a very, very hard skill to develop because people either one or the other, right? They're like really comfortable just riffing off people and doing that. Or they're like, I have my set piece that I'm going to right. do no matter what. And, and the thing is, is, I think a lot of art is the answer always lies in the opposite pole and you don't want it to like, why can't I just be good at just this and just master this? It's like you and the editing and the video and you're like, Talk, I got to do the editing and the video and I got to do all that. And now you're, you're forced to do something more technical stuff. Um, but that's where the answer lies. 
Yeah, you have to you have to do it. And like I said, you know, clean comics have to write some dirty material, dirty comics have to write some clean material. You know, we have to master these new tools. I mean, it's just it's all part of the process. And, you know, the more you're doing the material you love and I see guys that they just do. I don't know how they do it. The exact same set over and over and over again. I'm like, I just can't do it. That's, but that's just not who I am as an artist. But for those guys that are like that, I do try and tell them, you know, when I'm teaching, I'm like, guys, don't get too locked into your words, you know, keep the door open. If you feel like you want to follow a tangent, follow it. You know, don't go, uh, uh, no, that's not how I wrote the joke. You know, allow yourself that freedom to do that. And don't be locked into your set order. Just because you wrote it on a piece of paper in this order one time doesn't mean that's how you have to do it forever, you know? But it seems like, you know, that's kind of a very old school way of doing it was you built a set and you did the set, you know? And I've always kind of tried to uh, not change people, but give them the freedom to not do that because that's one of the things that I I've never been able to, to just do that, to do the same set over and over again. But isn't that where the discoveries are, right? Like, you know, if you're doing, absolutely, if you're doing, absolutely. if you're doing volume reps and you're doing, you know, you're, you're touring and you're doing your, your set over and over and over again. And then what, you know, the set is the same, but the environment is different. The people are different. And then something comes comes up and you just, that's, that's my dog. Sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll try to edit it out. Daisy, sit. My 44-pound uh, Border Collie puppy who just relentlessly bites my ankles. This dog needs, like, she's going to go to the military camp. Um, <laughs> she's going to come back play the piano. That's my goal. I'm going to send her to, like, sleepaway camp. And they, you can send people, like, $3,000 and then bring her dog back and she can play piano. Sit. <laughs> Nothing. I don't know. Um, no, but... The the but the volume reps they they give you the opportunity to have those discoveries where something amazing happens and you catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I, and the, you but you have to allow yourself the freedom to do that. If you feel that urge, but the like and artists musicians go through this with songs. You see them at the beginning of the tour. You see them at the end. The song is is different at the end of the tour, you know, because they discovered something about it through the repetition process. And that's the thing is the more, because the more you repeat, you know, with stand-up, the more you repeat the joke, the more you get to know it. So at a certain point, you don't have to think about what the next line is. You know it through and through. And that's when the opportunities for expansion begin to really explode because you already, so you're comfortable. You're not thinking what's next. You're in the moment. And all of a sudden you see something in, in the audience or somebody says, or this, you know, like you said, the energy is different. And all of a sudden you, you, you have this other idea, but you have to give yourself the freedom to chase it. So many guys just won't because they're like, no, this is the joke's done. This is the way I wrote it. It's like, well, I mean, if you feel it, find it, you know? Well, it, it's shocking though, about how many different iterations the same sentence can be said. You're know, like my, my wife was an actress for like a long time and we met in LA. I don't live in LA anymore, but she would break down these scripts, like these commercial scripts. Like she did a commercial audition for Gorilla Glue and, um, uh, she just had to say the words, of course. And I, I was shocked how many different ways you can say the words, of course. Like, she's right. there and she'd be like, you know, like 50 different ways to say the two words. And um, that was before I, I did any of the, any kind of the stuff that we're talking about or learned about it. And it's, I don't think people realize how deep you can go down the rabbit hole on the technical side. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, there are a million, and with stand-up, you're always kind of, it is, you're finagling it, you're massaging it, you're sculpting it, 
you're sanding it, you're polishing it, you know, because it, it you know, and then you find that way that it works the best. And that's when that's the polishing process, you know, and because yeah, you realize there's this one line, it's not quite working. It kind of works, but it doesn't work great. So you try this, you try that, you try this, then you just cut it and try it without it. And you're like, Oh, that does work better. <laughs> you know? Or you find a better reference, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Okay, yeah, because that reference was kind of hidden, but not as hard as I feel like it should. Then you try some other ones, and sometimes the other ones work don't work nearly as well, and you're like, okay, no, that's as good as it's getting. So, you know, I mean, that's that's I, I consider stand-up mental sculpture because you know it's like it's like you're creating art out of a rock. You have this basic chunk of an idea. And now you're going to try and sculpt it into this thing that's smooth and brilliant and funny and recognizable to everybody. And that's, that's sculpture, you know? So what does the next five years hold for you? Like, are you going to kind of keep doing, I saw your, your the 30 minute special you had on TV that you recently had on YouTube. I don't know if that was yeah. like last year or so. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, are you touring right now? Like what is your, what, yeah, what I'm you, on the road. You... I'm on the road all the time. I'm teaching my workshops all the time. I, you know, I do still do uh, as much, you know, I mean, I do, I've done quite a bit of television and film work and I continue to do that. So, you know, I mean, I, you, you know, it's so funny because you can make a five-year plan, but the arts don't really lend themselves to a five-year plan. It's not the same as having a corporate job. I mean, because you don't know when you're going to get certain opportunities. They may not come in five years. They might come in two years. It might come in 12 years. You don't know. I mean, the, the artist journey is unlike any other journey. It just is because it, it, it really cannot be planned the way other journeys can be, you know, there's just so many variables and so much of it, I hate to say it is luck, you know, is right time, right place, having somebody see it that likes it and they help it or whatever, you know, there's no way to, to control all of the X factors. It's funny because Malcolm Gladwell talks a lot about it, especially in the tipping point. But what he's still talking about is still kind of luck. Like that may be, you may be able to define how it happened, but that doesn't mean you can make that happen. You know, finding an, you know, an influencer who loves your stuff, unless of course you have a ton of money and you pay them a bunch of money to do it. But that doesn't mean it's going to connect with the audience just because you have, you know, you have these influencers pitching products all day now. They're just advertisers. That doesn't mean that everyone that's a, that wa- that follows them is going to be like, oh, I got to get it. The same with art. Just because somebody likes it doesn't mean everybody else is going to. So there is still a bit of luck to it. There's still quite a bit of luck to it. But isn't it, I mean, isn't it perseverance too, though? I mean, you've been a Oh, working, without question. You've been a Well, you know what they say? Like, luck. They say time. luck is... Pre- you know, they say luck is preparation meets opportunity. So the, the stick to that's your preparation. That's you just being there, sticking with it, going forward, persevering, staying with it until that opportunity happens and you being ready and prepared and in the right mindset to, to take advantage of that opportunity. So, you know, that's what, the, the, you know, a lot of people define luck as is preparation meets opportunity. And I agree with that definition. It really is, you know, but there's still even that is somewhat flawed because sometimes, I mean, there's just, you know, what happens if that opportunity never comes? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't control the opportunity, but you can control your preparation. And I think, I think that's why it's so important that you approach it as a craft, because if you're, if you're just some person who is, you're, you're trying to figure out how am I going to get the most likes and I'm just going to have a bit and, you know, some crazy thing. And that's what you get known for, but you don't put the time in. 
then when that opportunity comes, you don't have the foundation to take advantage of it. Absolutely. You- and, and there will always be profit and mastery. Okay. It may now fame, that's a different thing, but there will always be profit and mastery. You master something and you can get paid to do it. So that's why it's like the fame thing. That's the luck game. Okay. But there is, there's always profit and mastery. Well, and, and that's, that's, I think that's what's so true for writing. So for example, like a lot of my people that, that I, I help, they come from a place where like, I'm going to write the great American novel and I want to publish this book. And you tell them, well, like, okay, so there are a million English books, English books published every year and 500 of them sell more than 10,000 copies. Like people right. don't, people don't, they think, they think that just because they see a lot of platforms and a lot of people with notoriety, they think that that's just easy and that just happens automatically. And so um, I think if you approach it more from like we're talking about, whereas is you start to love and learn the craft, the craft is its own reward. Yeah, it really is. And that's why you have to do it your way. You have to enjoy doing it your style. You have to do things that make you laugh, you know, because otherwise you're not going to enjoy the process and you'll eventually quit. Well, I want to be very respectful of your time. Uh, I always kind of like to end with a question about adversity. And I think I think being a comedian, you must have, or, you know, to be able to hang in there for that entire time. So what would you say to someone, not just who maybe wants to be a comedian, but who wants to do anything in the arts, be it they want to be a copywriter, which I think is an art, or they want to be a humorist, or they want to be a comedian, or anything in the arts. Can you give some sort of tangible advice about how you handled all the adversity and just had that stick to like how you just kept it, kept at it, was able to do it year after year? Well, I I think it starts with just respecting the craft. Whatever craft it is that you're trying to master, you have to respect the fact that it's been... I know we're all geniuses. Everybody's a genius. Everybody's a star. I get it. I was the same way. But the fact of the matter is you have to just respect the fact that this has already been mastered by a lot of other geniuses. And you got to go through the process one step at a time. You have to go from the bottom to the top. Starting at the top is no, because you're just going to fall right off because you didn't take the steps necessary to get there. So instead of being frustrated with those steps, enjoy those steps. Master those steps one step at a time. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey. Respect the craft. Respect that it's going to take time. That you got to. Everybody starts at the bottom, unless, of course, you're from some incredibly rich, well-connected family. But you know, the journey of anything is is you got to you just do the work and enjoy the process and respect the fact that it's going to take time and don't get don't get too down on yourself and don't get too frustrated. And when I say these things. I'm saying them as much to myself as anybody, you know, I mean, here I am. I thought I would have been the biggest comedian in the world by now. <laughs> you know, I was watching, a, I was at a show the other day and this guy comes over and he's like, I don't know how you're not headlining Madison Square Garden. You know, you're just, you're my favorite kind con- like you just destroy up there. He's like, I just don't. And I'm like, Dad, it's like, you're saying what's in my head, man. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why either, you know, but this is the process this is the journey. You know, you got to, you know, keep stiff upper lip. You just keep, keep doing what you're, so long as you keep doing what you're doing, the way you want to do it and working towards improving and mastering and just, and, and not saying, why isn't this good enough, but just continuing to do it and keep going again. This is one of my favorite sayings. And honestly, I don't know who said it. I don't think I invented it. I'm pretty sure I heard it somewhere or read it, but I, I even Googled it and it didn't give me a strong indicator because uh, it didn't have the exact phrase. And I'm like, who said this? But I'll leave you with this. It matters not 
the length of the journey. It only matters that you keep going. That is the lesson. Well, I think I think there's no better way to end than on that lesson. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on today. How can people find you? Um, let's talk about where can they find your class, which I can highly recommend because I am a, a product of it. And then also how can they find you on socials, et cetera? Okay, so on the socials, primarily it's at Greg Romero Wilson. That's 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 uh, um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Which, by the way, I got into TikTok very late. I have very little traction over there. Don't be disappointed. The real numbers are on Instagram, and even those are just you know okay. But uh, please follow me on TikTok. I post all the same videos, you know, on on all the platforms, on YouTube, on 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 Instagram, on Facebook, you know. But I've always kind of put more effort into Instagram over everything else. So that's really my main platform, but please, you can follow me on TikTok, and I post funny videos over there too. And then, uh, and then in terms of the workshops, you can, if you uh, want to see all of my workshops, you can go to uh, thecomedyinstitute.com. The, don't forget the T-H-E, comedyinstitute.com. If you want to take my mastering stand-up class, it's streaming now. It's on comedyinstitute.teachable.com. So there's no V on that one. It's just comedyinstitute.com dot teachable.com and you'll see the mastering stand-up workshop is right there and you can stream it from from anywhere nowadays so and i'm very proud of that workshop and it's just loaded with so much great information that i mean it's a, again it'll save you years of painful trial and error you know just to take that workshop so i'm very proud of it and i, I appreciate your you 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 come and take the time to to reach out to me and and tell me that it had an impact on on your journey and the way it helped and and that to me is the most rewarding part of the teaching you know for for all the the shit i took for it in the beginning you know there's a lot of people now that you know can't can't speak highly enough about it and i'm very 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 grateful for that every single day and I heard a rumor that you may do one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. Is that true? I do. I do over Zoom. Because of Zoom, I can coach anybody anywhere, and I do that quite a bit. I do a lot of a lot of the one-on-one -on -one coaching on Zoom. And my five-week workshop is actually now on Zoom. That's going to be starting up uh, July 11th. So if you wanted to get on that, that sells out very quickly. I just announced it yesterday. So, uh, and it's already half full. So it's just the five that's over zoom and, uh, zoom is really, that, that was kind of the, the benefit of the pandemic was everybody kind of got used to, to learning and communicating over zoom, you know, what, so what, it kind of advanced online teaching a decade, you know, people, you know, they had to. And now everyone's completely comfortable with it. So now instead of us all having to go to some room and sit there for four hours every Tuesday night, you can just walk into your wherever you want to be that you're comfortable, click on your computer, and we work right there on Zoom, just like this podcast, just like everything else. So it's been really um, so it's been kind of a kind of a a boon that way, you know, the streaming and the people getting used to streaming education and Zoom, Zoom conferencing, et cetera. It's been it's been good for online education. I'll say that. And so if they want to contact you, is there a submission form on your website or is there an email they can send those those, those inquiries to for one-on-one -on -one coaching? Uh, yes, the, you could just uh, write there. You can email classes at thecomedyinstitute.com um, or, you know, there is the email list and you can sign up right on there and then it has a little form where you could put any statement you want in there uh, and that's on the website as well. So just sign up for that. And I'm happy to answer any questions anybody might have. You have a library of comedic teaching offerings, my friend. 
I, you know, and I never intended to. It just kind of, it was a very organic process. It just, you know, the more I would do it, the more people would want this. And I was like, okay, now I got to teach crowd work. And it's like, okay, now I'll teach storytelling. And now I'll do, and again, I do all of this in my own act. I prove my principles every single night. So this is, none of this is theoretical. All of this is hard earned knowledge that I prove on stage every night. And I think that that's really the big difference. Well, I can confirm that because, like I said, the class that I took from you seven years ago, I just recently watched your most recent recent special on YouTube or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's that. That's that. Like I could. Right. That's like, yeah. That I call it seeing the matrix. Once I expose mm-hmm. how everything works, you can watch anybody and define exactly what type of punchline they're doing. What you know, where, where the thought process, it all becomes you begin to see the way it works. And and I'm very proud of that. And I'm glad you're able to see it. Because, yeah, that's what people say when they see me perform and then they see the teacher. They're like, yeah, you did. I you know, they see it all in action. I'm like, yeah, this is I, I, I teach what I know. And so that's why I do it. And here's the last thing is, is that but if your principles are sound, it doesn't matter if people know them. You're still really funny. Thank you. So, right on. Th- thank you so much, brother. Again, I appreciate your time. And I'll have all of those. I'll have like a novel of show notes about how to get a hold of you. apparently. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the time. All right. Bye bye. Talk soon. All right, creator. I know you want to escape the current understory that you are trapped in. I get it. I've been there. But in order to do that, you're going to have to have a creative clearing, a place to stand in confidence and clarity. I'm not going to promise you some magical course, coach, or codex, but I cannot help you unless you raise your hand and say, I'm over here. Raise your hand and say, let's get out of here together. The podcast contains the philosophy and the five public principles but the daily emails have the insights, innovations, and shadow principles of building the classic American business that I only discuss with my subscribers. Raise your hand and let's light the lantern together. The path of understanding never ends, but that does not mean you cannot get to where you want to go. Go now and subscribe to my daily email list at understoryemails.com. Again, that's understoryemails.com. Go light the lantern.